You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The U.S. intelligence community has released its report on 2024 and election meddling. Ukraine says it stopped a significant Russian cyber espionage campaign. Recovery from the solar winds and exchange server compromises continues. Joe Kerrigan shares thoughts on the Verkata hack. Our guest is Oscar Pedroso from Thimble on getting kids hooked on technology. And no, that celebrity tweeter isn't really going to send you $2,000 for every $1,000 you give back to the community. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. The U.S. intelligence community late yesterday released the unclassified version of its report on foreign interference in the 2020 federal elections. The investigation found no evidence of foreign attempts to manipulate vote counts or other technical aspects of the election. It did find evidence of an extensive Russian influence campaign aimed at denigrating then-candidate Biden to the advantage of then-President Trump, with a strong overarching goal of eroding confidence in U.S. elections. The investigation found that Iran conducted a similar influence effort aimed at damaging President Trump's candidacy. Both efforts were authorized at the highest levels by President Putin in Moscow and by Supreme Leader Khomeini in Tehran. Russia's efforts were marked by extensive preparation and the use of trolls, agents of influence and influencers of the useful idiot variety, with messaging amplified by online proxies and Russian official media outlets. In general, Russian policymakers, while not in every respect happy with President Trump, clearly preferred him to a President Biden, although they had made their peace with a possible Biden presidency by the closing weeks of the campaign, seeing a silver lining in President Biden's presumed interest in reviving arms control agreements perceived as working to Russia's advantage. Their long-standing goal, which the report says endures into the present, is to weaken the United States, and whatever is likely to accomplish that particularly erosion of trust in U.S. civil and political institutions, is a good bet. 
Iran wasn't particularly in favor of President Biden, but the Islamic Republic was definitely opposed to President Trump. Their influence operation ran principally through social media and, interestingly enough, highly targeted email campaigns that spoofed the Proud Boys and threatened the recipients, for the most part likely Democratic voters, with crude appeals to vote for Trump, hoping thereby to provoke a backlash against the former president. Tehran's efforts worked to exploit and exacerbate fissures in American civil society, and the report warns that these efforts have continued post-election. Iran chose what the report calls cyber tools and methods because they were cheap, scalable, deniable, and required no physical access to the U.S. The investigation considered the possibility of interference by other governments as well, but none of the others were as active as those of either Russia or Iran. China considered undertaking an influence campaign, but eventually seems to have decided to sit the election out, apart from taking some minor shots at then-President Trump. In general, Beijing seems to have performed a cost-benefit analysis and decided that it saw no particular advantage to China in the election or defeat of either major party candidate, and in particular no advantage that would outweigh the bad optics of getting caught while finagling. Traditional influence, lobbying, and economics were judged to be the best bet for advancing Chinese interests, and in any case, the view from Beijing sees bipartisan Sinophobic consensus in the U.S., and that anti-China sentiment is going to endure whichever party holds the major positions in government. Beijing may have thought President Trump mildly worse for Chinese interests than President Biden, but not worse enough to warrant a big push to see him defeated. Lebanese Hezbollah, Cuba, and Venezuela played bit parts with their own minor influence operations. None of them had any use for President Trump and woofed against him, but their efforts were ineffectual, petty larceny stuff lost in the noise. And of course, there was the usual criminal presence manifesting itself in ransomware attacks, at least one of which affected a voter registration system. But the crooks don't appear to have been aligned with any government or to have had any particular political purpose. As one might expect, the Russian embassy in Washington didn't much like the IC's report, saying, quote, Another set of groundless accusations against our country of interfering in American internal political processes. End quote. The report says the embassy is just more American megaphone diplomacy. Ukraine's SBU Security Services says it stopped a large Russian cyber espionage effort yesterday, according to Reuters. The goal was to get access to classified data of the highest institutions of state power of Ukraine, the SBU said. They attributed the cyber espionage campaign to Russia's FSB, the security service whose cyber activity has often been called Cozy Bear. Senior administration officials said during a White House media availability Friday that U.S. agencies are within about a week of remediating the effects of Holiday Bear's solar winds compromise. The nine agencies known to have been compromised are addressing, among other things, network visibility. A major part of the response is intended to be modernization of federal IT systems, which the senior officials characterized as a bargain when compared to the costs of sustaining another compromise of this kind and magnitude. Those same officials also commented on the ongoing campaign against Microsoft Exchange Server, 
Here, too, network visibility was cited as a challenge. Quote, The U.S. government largely does not have visibility into U.S. infrastructure, and many of these actors operate out of U.S. infrastructure. And as we talked about, the us part of really needing to start prioritizing security in the way we build and buy software, we can do innovation and security. End quote. Worldwide response to Hafnium's exchange server hack continues. Netherlands authorities, Reuters reports, have found at least 1,200 compromised servers. Authorities said, quote, The National Cybersecurity Center observes that, as a result of vulnerabilities, data is being stolen, malware is placed, back doors are being built in, and mailboxes are offered for sale on the black market, end quote. So, much of the fallout from exchange server vulnerability exploitation continues to be criminal in nature. And finally, the Tampa Bay Times reports that the teenage Twitter hacker, Graham Ivan Clark, has taken a guilty plea to Florida state charges of running a scam that used hijack high-profile Twitter accounts to get people to send him Bitcoin. Last summer, Mr. Clark, then a student at Gaither High School, worked the now-familiar cast-your-bread-upon-the-waters scam, tweeting things like this from famous people's accounts. I'm giving back to the community, he tweeted from an account belonging to then-candidate Joe Biden. All Bitcoin sent to the address below will be sent back doubled. If you send $1,000, I will send back $2,000. Only doing this for 30 minutes. Enjoy! A pro tip... If you want to give back to the community, treat it as a gift and don't look for a return on your investment. Mr. Clark will be a guest of the governor of Florida for three years, with an additional three years of probation to follow. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
Among the casualties of the global COVID pandemic has been the opportunity for students to enjoy in-person, collaborative classroom experiences. Specifically, things like science and technology labs, robotics clubs, and other STEM-related activities. Oscar Pedroso is CEO at Thimble, a company that provides live and on-demand robotics and coding classes for kids, as well as hands-on kits that students can have shipped to them. Not surprisingly, throughout the pandemic, he and his team have been busier than ever. Right now, it's uh, a little bit of, of everything as far as hybrid and you know, hybrid learning is a term being tossed around a lot, which just consists of in-person uh, as well as online instruction. And last year when the pandemic hit, parents weren't really sure what was going on. I don't think anyone knew what was really going on, really. But uh, from the school standpoint, a lot of schools ended up shutting down or remained uh, online, strictly online until they knew more information about where everything was going. So for a good chunk of 2020, kids were really learning at home for the most part. And then now that we're in 2021, there seems to be a shift into hybrid learning and then the slow transition back to in-person instruction. Now, you all have filled some of the gap here. Can you describe to us, I mean, what are the, the kits that you all make available to some of these students? So we teach electronics and programming. So a lot of our kits revolve around robots, drones, video games. And these, are, these tend to be things that, that kids are drawn to. And I was certainly drawn to them when I was younger, too. And so um, we, we have uh, 15 different types of, of kits, and they range anywhere from building a Wi-Fi robot, a weather station, a little piano synthesizer. And uh, the, each of these projects touches on a different type of discipline out there. So whether it's smart home technology, GPS and navigation, robotics and mechatronics, like we really try to, to make it broad so that kids can be exposed to different subject areas and not just one. Yeah, boy, we've really come a long way since uh, my Radio Shack 150-in-1 kit back in the day. Definitely. How do you go about making sure that you're reaching some of the kids that are underrepresented? And that I mean, are, are there things like scholarships? Are there, are there ways to, to hit uh, those particular kids and families? Definitely. We do monthly scholarships, so we do five a month, and we will usually put out a campaign on social media for anyone that might not be able to afford a membership. We also work with schools and through various partners like National Grid, for example, they're a big utility provider here in the Northeast. They have uh, various community and neighborhood programs geared at uh, serving underserved schools. So through those partnerships, we're able to work with National Grid to subsidize the costs of these programs for kids who might not ever really get to access any of this type of instruction. That's Oscar Pedroso from Thimble. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, we've seen widespread coverage of uh, this story about uh, the uh, surveillance camera company Verkata right. and uh, some uh, bad news that, that they've had to deal with here. I'm looking at a story uh, from Bloomberg that covers this over on the Yahoo Finance site. Can you bring us up to date? What's going on here? So this group of hackers calling themselves uh, – I don't know if they if they have been dubbed an APT with a, with a long number after it or if this has been designated to them by other people. But they are essentially arson cat is what they call themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them – somebody found a leaked super user account uh, name and password out on the net, on the, on the internet somewhere. And they mm-hmm. used that to gain access to the system. In fact, as soon as Bloomberg contacted Verkata, the these uh, these actors lost control and lost the access that they had. But while they were in, they were able to access the feeds of 150,000 security cameras, uh, surveillance cameras in, inside of prisons, hospitals, uh, companies, police departments, schools. They were inside the uh, Sandy Hook School, which is where that horrible shooting wow. took place back in 2012. Mm-hmm. They claim that they were in a uh, Tesla production facility, although Tesla says that's just one of our uh, one of our suppliers. That's not us. Hmm. Um, all of our stuff is stored locally, not in the cloud. There was one one case where they had a uh, or one example uh, in the video that Bloomberg saw, where in a Florida hospital in Halifax uh, called uh, Halifax Health that showed what appeared to be eight hospital staffers tackling a man and pinning him to a bed. Hmm. Of course, we don't know what the situation is here, but the the, the uh, on their public facing website, Verkata has a, uh, a a case study that is called "How a Florida Healthcare Provider Easily Updated and Deployed a Scalable HIPAA Compliant Security System." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Safe to say, this is no longer HIPAA compliant, or at least this is a HIPAA <laughs> violation, right? Right, right. Yes, I don't think you're going out on a limb by saying that. Right. Sure, <laughs> right, sure. It's, so you know this this actually has impact on the uh, on on a lot of people like the patients. Now I, I don't know if the video has been released. I don't know that. I mean Bloomberg has seen the video. I don't think they're going to publish it. That would be unethical. I think. Yeah. The fact that uh, just the fact that they they state what's 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 here is fine. We don't need to we don't need to see the video. Right. And it's interesting to me these folks are are claiming to be hacktivists. Right. And that they're not out there. They're not, you know, it's not a ransomware thing. They're not asking for money. They're trying, they say that they're trying to raise awareness at uh, how video cameras are everywhere, this panopticon of of surveillance, and they just want to draw attention to that. Do we have, do you feel any sympathy for their case there? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I, the, um, this, there's a, somebody who's identified as Tilly Cotman, probably not their real name. Um, mm-hmm. And it is their Twitter account has already been suspended, so yeah, uh, no more is coming out of uh, that venue. But the quote here is the reasons for hacking are quote lots of curiosity, fighting for freedom of information ag- and against in- intellectual property, a huge dose of anti-capitalism and a hint of anarchism, and 
it's also just too much fun not to do it. That's the mm. quote. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that uh, that uh, anti-capitalism is in vogue right now. So they're, they they might be trying to curry favor with people. Maybe they actually are anti-capitalist. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, the you know curiosity, fighting for freedom of information and against intellectual property. Uh, I understand fighting for freedom of information. I really do empathize with the uh, surveillance state. I'm not a big fan of this of all the surveillance that goes on, and it this does bring up a good point about the uh, about you know we, well we have all this surveillance technology around, but don't worry, it's secure. No, it's it's probably not secure. There's all you have to do is look on the internet and find a uh, username and password that lets somebody go in, and everybody's security just goes right out the window. So yeah. I empathize with that a lot, but that being said, this is not how you go about it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also it points out the the issue of third party risk, which is certainly right. a hot topic these days. How so many organizations had put their trust in Verkata, right? You know, well known organizations globally had put their trust in Verkata. And, you know, you got this, what, what uh, reportedly was a hard-coded password hanging out there on the internet, and all these organizations get, get hit. Right. Everybody gets owned on this. Yeah. I don't know. This is kind of like a basic failure of, of an authorization system. You know, we talk about uh, the three A's, uh, authoriz- authentication, authorization, and auditing. There is no reason for someone who to be authorized to view every single thing in their in the Verkata system, I mean, it, there's really no reason to have a super user account like this, especially in modern times. I mean, the 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 principle of least privilege is a security basic, almost an axiom by now, right? That you know you 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 don't go around creating essentially what are root users in a, in a in an enterprise system like this that you that you compartmentalize as much as as much as you can, but there's really not a reason to have this kind of this kind of level of access. And there's yeah. certainly not a reason to publish it or to let it leak out. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's an unfortunate and, and cautionary tale. Uh, and when it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the long term. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens here. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The more you drive it, the better it gets. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 